Well, hello again, and welcome to episode 47 of the Cheers to Comics podcast. I am your host, Brian Wayne, and this week I will be going over a good portion of the books that were released on the 4th of September 2019, as well as talking about things relevant to the world of comic books. So, full disclosure, this is a spoiler-based podcast, Uh, so, yeah, heads up, but alas, I do take the time to uh, put timestamps in the description, so yeah, make it easy to skip ahead if there's something that you don't want spilled for you. And uh, the other thing that I like to mention is that I curse quite a bit at times, so uh, for all you sensitive-eared folks out there, you've been warned. So with all that being said, let's jump right into it. But first, uh, you know, I, I have actually got a little bit of an announcement here. I'm proud to say that the Cheers to Comics podcast does have its first affiliate sponsor. This episode is brought to you by WestCoastGeek.com. I was very, very excited when they reached out to me. I, I scrolling through the website and I thought, "Well, shit, where has this been? <laughs> this is a uh, this is it's got everything in the 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 comic book nerd community, man. Mostly comic book related, though. Uh, it's got you know everything from your comic books and graphic novels to action figures and pops and." Clothing apparel and all of that good stuff. So I'm I'm more than excited. But check it out. If you guys use code Cheers to Comics, um, uh, at the uh, the checkout, you get 20% off your order. So that's uh, that's super badass. And I believe right now they're actually doing uh, free shipping on orders over over 60 bucks. So get on that. I will have a link in the description to this podcast. So once again, uh, go check out WestCoastGeek.com, a proud Cheers to Comics affiliate. Um, yeah, and let's, uh, let's jump into the news. Oh, wait, I couldn't find any this week. That's, uh, that's probably a good thing. There's not, I mean, there might be a couple of pushbacks on some books that I didn't even know were coming out to begin with, so I don't know if I really consider that news. Um, uh, yeah, so let's, let's just jump into the overviews then. Once again, these were the books that were hitting, hit shelves on the 4th of September. And we're going to start out with some indies, like I tend to do. This first indie is from Action Lab, Danger Zone. I'm uh, Action Lab's been putting out some amazing stuff, and I'm I get excited when I get a when I get a number one. And fortunately enough, this was actually sent to me uh, from David Peoples himself uh, in a digital PDF format. I got the chance to to check it out early, so I've been sitting on this book for a while, just waiting waiting to gab about it. So this is a uh, David Peoples, Gavin. Gidry and Liz Kramer, cover A by Lisa Steele. So, um, a book like this, <laughs> it really deserves to, to be delved into proper. So let's start out here. We've got two main characters, uh, Emily and Jesse. They are fixing to get married. So the first character we meet is Emily, and uh, she you could tell that she's reluctant. She's having second thoughts. Um, yeah, but in, while, while we're going through all of this, you realize this is also a seemingly high-profile wedding, or at least a, a wedding that has a whole bunch of money dumped into it. We've got an angry, uh, an angry father in the background yelling that, you know, a thousand doves isn't enough for some shit like that, and <laughs> the mom, the, I, th- I believe they're divorced, uh, she's, she's checking out all the young waiters, and a little tipsy, so you could tell that there's, you know, it's not the the most functional of rich families. 
Meanwhile, we cut over and we meet Jesse, the groom. He's sitting at a bar with this little mini bachelor party, if you will. He's with his best man, BJ, and really, BJ's just trying to talk him out of it. Don't do it, man. You know, your typical shit. <laughs> um, that's I would be BJ. But uh, while they're sitting at the bar, we see this. Uh, this is how we really know that the the wedding is high profile because it's it's on the news. It's in the news. Well, Emily's gonna be sporting a two hundred and fifty million dollar necklace that's on loan to her from some fancy museum or whatever. Well, some guys at the bar they catch word of this and they think, oh shit, that's the that's oh okay, let's uh I'm gonna go have a talk. Says one of the guys. I believe his name is Tom, and he goes over and he sits. He's sitting with Jesse, and they're kind of chatting it up a little bit, and yeah, you don't really think much of it. And then we go over to the wedding, and as the I do's and whatnot are being said, BJ or I'm sorry, Jesse says his I do, and just as Emily's getting ready to say I can't, because that's kind of what you get the feel. I mean, that's that's the feeling you get. Uh, we cut over to a panel where we see four men. Loading up, shotguns in hand, all wearing Elvis masks. Different versions of Elvis, and not the, not the most comfortable versions of Elvis. There's a fat Elvis and an old Elvis, and a, which is essentially kind of the same person. A dead Elvis. And yeah, uh, I don't even know what the other one would be, but Elvises. And they walk in there, and this is a stick-up. So, um, as they make their way towards Emily, give me that necklace, bitch. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't remember where it's at. She She's so caught up in not giving a shit and not wanting to do this wedding. She doesn't even realize that this whole $250 million necklace that was supposed to be on her neck isn't even on her neck. So one of the guys, one of the robbers goes up to her and says, Alright, bitch, you're coming with me. We're going to figure out where this necklace is, and uh, otherwise motherfuckers are going to die. Well, one of my, I think probably gonna end up being my favorite character if she doesn't end up dying in this we got uh, the old granny lady and she's a uh, she's really the the comedic relief to this book she's you know your snappy old fucking typical grandma gotta love it well she's got a life alert <laughs> and when she alerts the police the police they, they get word and at first they just kind of they blow it off for whatever reason but one of the one of the detectives i think it's the sheriff Something clues them in that maybe this is a big deal, so they lock and load up. So now we've got the cops on their way. And, uh, yeah, meanwhile, we cut back over to that uh, the, the lead robber, seemingly, and Emily in the back room, and he rips off the mask, and it's that Tom fellow. Uh, we probably could have guessed that, right? But the thing you didn't see coming is that his motivation to go in on this wedding was so much more than the $250 million plus dollar payday. It was the fact that he actually had history with Emily, and he was really there to break off the wedding, in a way. Instead of, you know, just waiting for the, does anybody have any, you know, contention to the bloody bloody blah bullshit. No, he just walked in with shotguns and said, give me all your money, bitches. By the way... I'm the better dude for you. Fucking <laughs> uh, Tom. I, I I dug this book so much. It makes me really excited to dive into Spencer and Locke. Because this is a, the same creator, David Pipos. I hope I'm saying it right. I don't know if it's Pipos. Pipose? Pipos? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Because check it out. He's going to be coming on the podcast here very shortly, guys, for a creator corner. So get excited about that. Get excited about going to the chapel. Get excited about Action Lab just putting out fucking gold lately. I gotta love it. 
But we got to keep this thing going. We're going with No One Left to Fight, number three, from Dark Horse Comics. Aubrey Sitterson and Fico Osio, covered by Fico Osio. So this is the comic we've always wanted, according to the uh, the tagline on this book. <laughs> Actually, I really do dig this book. I think it is a comic that a lot of people really have wanted at, for some time without really realizing it. And the, the premise behind the story is essentially, uh, what if Goku ran out of people to fuck up? And, yeah, you're just the most powerful fighter in the world, and you've got a dick-jealous brother, and, yeah, all this other stuff. Well, this part of the story dives into more of the, the love life and uh, feelings of our main character, Vale. And at this point in time, uh, Vale and his brother Tamor and his wife Krista, they're all at, uh, what's her name, Mother, uh, or Mistress Harga. Mistress Harga is a little sanctuary, if you will. I don't know if it's considered a sanctuary or a, uh, what do they call those, dojos? I don't know. That's where, you know, Vale trained back in the day. Well, when he goes there, uh, he, he sees uh, his old training partner, Winda. Well, what we get out of this is essentially his wind is thirsty. She's real thirsty for some mail, and he shuts her down. Well, that sends her into quite the tizzy. She gets all fucking pissed off, and yeah. And she says, well, what is it? Why not me? I think I'd be the perfect bitch for you. Look how angry and furious I can get. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no wonder. Um, but it turns out he actually, he really does like Krista. That is his love, and, you know, despite the fact that his uh, brother-in-law, or brother, or whatever, I don't know if it's his brother or not, it's, but, uh, um, Tamor is married to her, yeah, he's, he's still, he's holding out for her, and, uh, yeah, so we get a little bit of awkward, a whole lot of awkwardness, actually, so much, in fact, that it really causes them to, uh, to kind of take off from their stay a little bit earlier, but between the the blowing up of Winda and the, the departure of the trio from Mistress Harga's little place, we meet that mysterious character that was uh, you caught a glimpse of in the last issue that was creepily following them around, the Hierophant. So he arrives and he makes an offer to uh, to Vale and says, "I'm here to heal you." And they will heal me from what? Well, this this affliction of yours. What affliction could that be? So they leave that all up in the air, and it could be a number of things. You know, that's uh, yeah, that's that's for us to uh, speculate on until it's actually established in the next couple of issues, whatever that may be. My personal speculation is the fact that he wants to uh, bang his sister-in-law. <laughs> that's a uh, that's something to be healed from, that's for damn sure. But, nevertheless, he, you know, Vale de denies and says, nah, peace, bitch, and the Hierophant carries on. Ha ha ha. So, obviously, that's that's not how that's all going to end. There's going to be more to it. But he, and he says, I'm not here to fight you, dude. I'm here to help with my creepy smile and my, my devilish attitude and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, 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 I am really digging No One Left to Fight. I it really could possibly be the comic we've always wanted without without really knowing. That's coming out of Dark Horse, man. Dark Horse is killing it. More Dark Horse, though. Berserker Unbound, number two. Jeff Lemire, Mike Diodoro Jr., and Frank Martin. Covered by Diodoro Jr. and Frank Martin.
Alright, the Mongrel King, he is on Earth. And in the last issue, he was greeted by a homeless man that was kind of freaking out. Well, turns out this homeless man is not so crazy after all. He's a very sane man. Uh, he's just, he might freak out. You know, I guess his reaction <laughs> is uh, justified when a big, giant, muscled, naked man comes falling from the sky. You might naturally think, oh shit, he's here to take all my shit. No. Well, this homeless man, he goes by Joe Cobb, and Joe Cobb finds it his duty to kind of take our mongrel king under his homeless wing. So he takes him to his little camp, and he feeds him his beans and whatnot, and yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, the, the, here's the thing about this. These two can't fucking understand each other at all, because the mongrel king, he don't speak English, and, uh, um, well, Joe Cobb doesn't speak magical, mystical languages that we don't know what they are. So, uh, yeah, there's going to be some some communication breakdowns. And really, that's that's essentially what this whole issue is. It's the, the lack of communication between the two. Um, Mongrel King, he, he realizes, you know, he goes back to the little area that has all the markings and everything where the portal should be. And he points it out, but Joe just thinks, well, you know, it's just a bunch of fucking taggings. Kids come here and tag that shit all the time. It's some weird oogly-boogly language that they're making up on the streets and whatnot. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the, our berserker, he, you know, he thinks, oh, oh, so you do know what this is. Take me to this wizard that can hear this or open this portal again. When Joe says, okay, I've got shit to do. So <laughs> he thinks he's going that way. Well, Joe's actually just... Going to the shelter to get him some lunch and all this other... It's, it's fucking great, man. It really is. This is actually more of what I thought the book would be. The first issue was fucking brutal, man. I mean, we got to see the Mongrel King in his berserker mode. And this was the Mongrel King... I mean, if if confusion can go in berserker mode, this is a, essentially... <laughs> yeah, he was a... Yeah, ultra confused here. And, uh, yeah, no, the, the, the story carries on. This was just trying to make her way through town, and, yeah, it's fucking incredible, man. I, I really am digging this book. Mike Diodoto, back on creator on projects. Fucking Jeff Lemire. It's great. Uh, highly recommended for new readers. Highly recommended. Especially if you're, like, a Conan fan, by any means. It's very Conan-esque. Uh, from IDW... Samurai Jack Lost World number four. Paula Lore, Adam Bryce Thomas, covered by Adam Bryce Thomas. Alright, guys. Uh, trigger warning on this one. All you flat earthers out there. All of you. Yeah, you're, you're gonna get triggered. Sorry. Um, skip ahead. Because <laughs> this. I think we all know what Paula Lore's stance on flat earthers are after this issue. We've got Jackie on a boat. And he's a. Uh, Floating across the sea. Uh, whose boat is he on? Well, he's on Captain Arnold's boat. Why is he on that boat? Doesn't matter. <laughs> he's He's got places to be. Well, um, Captain Arnold, on the other hand, he's seeking the edge of the earth. And uh, when he gets, you know, his whole contention is, okay, we think we know where the edge of the earth is, and we think we know that because we, we just imagined that the edge of the earth would naturally be guarded by really shit monstrous creatures. So when we find the shit monstrous creatures and get past them, that's where the edge of the earth would be, and we could prove and blah de blah de blah So they get to some creatures. Well, guess what? This captain, he gets fucking eaten. <laughs> um, because, you know, 
he's fucking wrong. <laughs> and, uh, well, his first mate, he's got to take over now. What's his first mate's name? Uh, like He calls him Squinty, but uh, Captain Roy is what he's now going by. Captain Roy. Squinty Roy. Captain Squinty Roy. Well, Jack says, okay, well, I don't believe in Flat Earth. And Captain Squinty Roy says, neither do I. Uh, that, that edge over there is really, it's just, uh, um, you know, it's, it's a natural occurrence when we get to it. You know, it's, uh, the, the fact is, is they, they're kind of trapped at this point because of that shitty captain. And they can't go any further because of all the creatures surrounding them. And they can't really take them. And eventually, um, Jack says, you know what? I'm going to fucking prove once and for all that the Earth is not flat. I don't really know who he's proving it to. Um, because the captain at this point, the new captain, does believe it. But he says, you know, I'm just just for my own fucking whatever. Let's, there is no flat earth. And we got to get around these fucking monsters. So over the edge they go. And it is, in fact, not the edge of the earth. It's just a fucking waterfall. Obviously. A very big one, granted. But, uh, yeah, no. Let's, let's fucking take the ship over the edge. That's... It's Samurai Jack. It's a very, uh action-packed book as far as the 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 fight scene you know jack obviously just doesn't let the captain get eaten he goes after him and he tries to save him in his jackie ways and yeah man uh it's it's samurai jack at its he's back man jack is back i keep saying that every issue but that's how excited i am we don't get samurai jack animated anymore all of that's done so if you want your jack you got to get it through paula lauren adam bryce thomas because they're fucking bringing it hard they really are, and Samurai Jack is really, I mean, to me, the animated was known more visually than anything, it's just such an awesome artistic style. Well, granted, yes, no, it's not the same the same uh, visual team from the show doing this, because you really, I don't know if you could do a comic without line work, because that was really the standing out point of the, uh, the animation, is there was no actual line work. So... Adam Bryce Thomas had to adapt, and adapt he did. He's fucking killing it, man. Let's move on to Boom Studios. This book is hot right now. Something killing the children, number one. James Tinian IV and Werther Deledra. Deledra. I said it wrong. And Miguel Muerto. Cover by Werther Deledra. Got another try at that. And Giovanna Nero. Alright, so... We get these boys. They're at a sleepover. You could tell that they're not all really the closest of friends, or at least one of them's the outcast. They get a little truth or dare action going on, and uh, really what it does is it leads to uh, it leads to a dare that leads to a bunch of deaths. So, there's supposedly some murders going on in the woods, and the dare is that I dare you to go out there and not get scared. Well, as it turns out, <laughs> something is killing the children. And the only survivor of this truth or dare game is the kid that made the dare. And that's that's all by chance. He just so happened to get out. How is just pure luck, I guess. But it's it's a series of horrific fucking killings. Well he, he can't he can't tell anybody what he sees. Uh, on account of he hardly believes what he sees. Uh, so he's telling everybody, I didn't see anything, I just heard screaming. There was so much screaming, and I ran out. And we were all playing hide-and-seek in the woods, and blah, 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 and yeah. Well, meanwhile, uh, we cut over to this other character. Oh, what's what's her name? Uh, they don't, I don't think they give her a name yet. But she's, she's obviously this monster hunter, but I find it weird that she's... Uh, 
rolling around this, and I say rolling around, she's got this character that's all stumpy, no arms, no legs, kind of bloody, uh, in a wagon, but it doesn't seem like, you know, this, she's again, there on her, I mean, she is there on her own free will, it's kind of like a sidekick, <laughs> I don't fucking know, um, but, uh, yeah, no, there she is, well, yeah, you kind of think for a second that maybe this is the character that's killing all the children, until she tracks down James, the boy that witnesses all of this stuff, for questioning, and says, look, you could tell me anything, kid, I got this, I, I, I just, I, I believe you, I just need to know what you saw, and then when he describes this creature that he does actually see, she says, oh shit, and she calls in something to these, whoever, you know, bases, we got a class E7 on the loose, and blah, 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 and yeah, so we got a monster hunter, we got a kid that's a witness, we got a stump in a wagon, and we've got a fucking horrific beast on the loose in the woods and a bunch of parents that are stupid as fuck. So, uh, all the hype around this book, I do believe it to be well fucking deserved. Because, yeah, I'm fully subscribed. James Tanner in the Fort. This is not typical for him. It's very, like, ah... Uh, it flows. It's not a whole bunch of wordy dialogue and lore and all of that stuff. It's these are the facts, these are the facts, these are the facts, a whole bunch of blood, these are the facts. Fucking dig it, man. Dude's versatile as shit. Uh, Albatross Comics, we got The Goon. Number six, Eric Powell, Thomas Snagoski helping out with the writing, and Brett Parson on the art. Covered by Eric Powell. Alright, we've got our little, uh, a little gang of kids, they're sneaking, in, they sneak into this funeral home, next to the funeral home they know is the base of, uh, Mr. Dapper, and, um, yeah, the, the uh, the antagonist of the story, the guys that have been setting up all these bad motherfuckers for the goon from the beginning. I believe this character is called Mr. Dapper, I'm not 100% sure, he is once referred to by the kids as Mr. Dapper, he's the big gorilla looking motherfucker that you see on so many of these covers, in the foregrounds, and the backgrounds, and whatnot. So yeah, no, they, they, they get the, the lowdown, the scoop on what the fuck is going on, Dapper, he's working for someone bigger, and they haven't shown who this character is yet, we just get this shadowy figure in a chair. So we know that Dapper is taking orders from someone. Well, Goon and Frankie, they're out, and, uh, they're, they're doing their thing, being fucking brutes and whatnot, and as they're roughing someone up that crossed them wrong, they realize that, uh, the guy that they're roughing up, he's getting a bigger kickback from this fishy Pete character than they are, and that bigger kickback is fish sticks. <laughs> they want stay fish sticks, too. So... Uh, they figure, okay, I'm gonna go, let's, let's go rough up Fishy Pete, make sure we get a, you know, we want our share of the fucking fish sticks, bro. If you guys aren't familiar with the goon, this is a, a, a fun, just weird, off-the-wall fucking story. <laughs> um, but when they go to meet up with, uh, and shake down Fishy Pete, uh, Dapper Dan's already there, and he's actually trying to get Fishy Pete in on his little scheme against the goon and all this other shit and fishy pete said no i'm trying to go straight and it's yeah well they all arrive at the same time and they all show up and we got this you know uh, awkward well goon and mr dapper they go at it and you know and goon's actually he's kind of getting his ass handed to him i mean 
Not completely. He's still putting up a hell of a fucking fight. He's getting his blows in for sure. He's not getting his ass kicked. But I wouldn't say he's really winning either. And it gets to a point where it looks like he could be done for, or at least knock the fuck out. But Dapper kind of, he walks away from it. This isn't part of the plan. And that's when Gun realizes, oh shit, he's working for someone bigger. And, uh, yeah. It's the fucking goon, man. <laughs> We're this is issue six. I think this is this wraps the the, the, the first arc, I believe. I'm hoping that Eric Powell doesn't go on a hiatus or anything because I like the fact that we've got what three goon books in four weeks or something like that, because there was a bit of a delay at one point and it all came out. We even got a point in time or actually issue five came out before issue four for some reason. Once again, I don't know if that was just the goon being the goon in some... <laughs> I don't fucking know. But entertaining, nevertheless. Uh, let's move on to my only image book of the week. Sea of Stars. Number three. We've got a a creative fucking duo like you wouldn't believe on this one, guys. It's uh, Jason Aaron and Dennis Hallam, or Dennis Hopeless, as you may remember him as. I think he's trying to drop that name. Along with Stephen Green and Rico Renzi on the visual team, covered by Stephen Green. Alright, we've got our little boy Caden. He's still uh, floating through space. Happy go lucky. And he's got his whale and his monkey character just blown away on how he's able to cope in space in the manner that he is. Well, uh, throughout all this, he, he, he does actually get reminded of his dad at one point in time, and you think for a second, all right, shit, fucking sad, sad, no, he goes right back to the, oh, no, I'm, you know, it reminds me of my dad is, uh, well, what are the, a quark shark, quark shark's the thing that actually ate his dad, it's this giant fucking whale-like creature, and he says, well, I want to see a quark shark. And the whale and monkey say, no, that's that's not a good idea, because, you know, I'll fucking eat ya. <laughs> not cool. Well, somehow, some way, Caden, he lets out this call, and essentially he's saying, Quark Shark, come here, little Quark Shark. Well, fucking Quark Shark shows up. And, yeah, he thinks he's playing tag with it. Meanwhile, the Quark Shark's just trying to fucking eat it. And the Quark Shark, he goes, or eat him. Quark Shark, he gets a bite out of him. He's got a fucking arm in his mouth. Quark Shark gnawing down. And Monkey's like, oh shit, that's that's it. He's done for. That's it. Well, no, that's not it at all. The fucking kid hits him back in a playful manner saying, no, tag, tag backs. You didn't say no tag backs. Tag, you're it. And he goes to tag him really hard. And he goes flying through fucking space. Not him, the Quark Shark. So, this point in time, everyone's like, oh shit, this is, what the fuck? Fuck, the kid just sent the goddamn thing through space. Like a motherfucker. Well, we transfer back over the dad. I can't remember the dad's name. It's something like Virgil or it's a truckle, trucker name. <laughs> that's, that's, I don't know. Well, he's still trying to make his way towards this kid. And he's got his little Kyle bot, a little cop bot with him. Just antagonizing throughout the whole way. And really, we don't get much out of him. It's just a reminder that he is still alive. Barely making it, but he's finding his way. He's still on a mission to try to track down Caden. We go back to Caden, uh, and he is confronted by this figure known as Sunhawk. And Sunhawk says, Ah, we found you. Our god. And he says, Look, dude, you, you little boy, your name is Quasaro. Quasaro. 
and you are the son of the sun. You are a god, in fact. You are the most powerful being in the world. We are here to hail to you. We finally found you. Bum, bum, bum. Fucking amazing, man. Uh, well, I, I kind of saw it coming, but at the same time, I couldn't have written it better by any means. That's, that's Come on, guys. It's Jason Aaron and Dennis Hallam. It's beautiful. and it's, uh, Visually, it's beautiful. It's, this whole book is stunning. It's, it's a for-everyone book, that's for sure. It's definitely a family book. I like it quite a bit. Quite a bit. And with all of that, it looks like that'd be it for the indies in this section of the overview. Let's move on to DC, shall we? We're going to start out with uh, an indie DC crossover, actually. We've got some Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Part 3, Number 5. Alright, James Tinian the fourth, Freddie E. Williams the second, Kevin Eastman, and Jeremy Caldwell. Cover by... Williams and Caldwell. Alright, we've got... Pre Ugh, there's so much going on here, guys. This is the team-up of team-ups. So stay with me here. There's We get a lot of team-ups and not team-ups <laughs> happening, and it's all over the place. So I'm going to do this the best I can. We've got our turtles. We know our turtles. We've got Batman. We've got Splinter, and we've got Shredder. All on the same team. Their mission is to take out the Joker and his army of robots. Well, um, they gotta get through the Joker, and at the same time, they gotta get through this portal, because through this portal is Krang. Krang is, he's pulling the strings of this whole situation, this crossover event, this melding of universes, and we can't have that, because he's really just trying to form the universe in his image. Uh, yeah, I didn't know Krang was a god either, but here we go. <laughs> so the turtles they go through the portal well they're going through the portal to make their way towards krang splinter and shredder are fighting back to back coolest part of the whole fucking book i mean it it was r really fucking cool to see shredder and splinter teaming up and saying look and they're more than willing to do it too it wasn't a an act of reluctancy they're they're like all right check it out we got to do this man let's it's, we'll, we'll, we'll whoop each other's asses later on down the road. In the meantime, fucking goddamn... <clears throat> so fucking cool. <laughs> uh, then we've got um, uh, Batman. So while the turtles are off in the portal, and Batman and or Splinter and Shredder are taking on all of these uh, these these robots, at least for a while, until Splinter realizes, all right, you know what? No, I got to do everything I can to to help my sons. So he, he goes to a couple other characters in this book, April and Alfred. Yes, the, dude, guys, the fucking crossover team-ups are amazing in this. So he's, he, that leaves Shredder to take on the Joker's army of robots, with, but Shredder also has the Foot Clan. So we've got the... Oh, man, there's so much fucking cool shit going down here. So Splinter, he meets up with... Alfred and April O'Neil, who are at that point in time scolding Batman <laughs> for just taking off. Batman says, well, I'm at the bat signal. You guys remember the bat signal? I remember the bat signal. I remember something about the bat signal, and if I have a feeling if I flash the bat signal, we're going to get some help. And they're like, well, no, you're, you're the help when the bat signal is... <laughs> so... Yeah, at this point in time, they realize, alright, we gotta get back to the fight. We go back to the fight, and it looks like they're about to get fucked up. Portal opens up, and guess who answers the bat signal? 
the Bat Family. Yeah, good shit. Um, throughout all of that, the Turtles, they do actually make it into Krang's ship, and they, they, they find uh, the old-school Kevin Eastman version alternate universe raft that was captured, and, uh, yeah, um, but, unfortunately, Krang's ship, they make it through the portal, and they, they are on Earth, and all looks to be doomed, and, guys, lots of shit going on. Lots and lots of shit going on in this book, but it's, it's so enjoyable. It's just nostalgia and fun, and holy shit, that's, I can't believe this is happening. Uh, I don't, I don't know what there is to dislike about, uh about this crossover. Loving it very, very much. More DC. We've got Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, number one. Pushing Daisies. Um, yeah, alright. So, let's... <laughs> this... Uh, you know, I thought Heroes in Crisis was just going to be pushed, swept under the rug after all that. I think DC just... W I, I would think DC would just want to forget about all that. But no... We're getting a spinoff of the aftermath of that, and the, uh, the, yeah, well, the aftermath of particularly Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, because that was a big part of that series. Probably the best part of the, that series, to be honest, was the death and mystery of Poison Ivy and that resurrection, spoilers, and Harley Quinn being a big suspect of it all, and, yeah, well, um, really what it comes down to is... This all ties into the Year of the Villain stuff. Yes, even Ivy gets a fucking package from Lex Luthor, and this package contains fertilizer, and this fertilizer allows her to heal a little bit faster, and now she's able to grow clothes, because she just got born again. And, uh, yeah, well, that was all just a ruse. It turns out that it's uh, there was so much more to that fertilizer. kind of gives her like this overgrowth mode, I, I guess is what I'm calling it. And they get a knock on the door, and it is, oh, everyone's heard of the Floronic Man. <laughs> yeah, we get a big giant Floronic Man. It was actually Dr. Jason Woodrow. And he's there for Ivy, knowing that she's now ingested this fertilizer. And he says, oh, no, now we can use you. You're finally ready. You're powerful enough. And then when we see Ivy again, she's all fucking grotesque and overgrown. And yeah, man, scary, scary stuff. Uh, you know, I'm probably not going to finish this series, to be perfectly honest. I love Poison Ivy so much. So, 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 so much. But I, just, I really dislike the Heroes in Crisis story. So I was kind of hoping to get a little bit more out of it. Um, maybe I'll give issue two a try. I think it's a six-parter, so... Yeah, uh, the really the the main draw to this this book for me were the covers, but we'll get to that later on in another section. Let's keep it going. We've got Justice League number thirty-one. I know we just talked about Justice League last week. Not my fault, guys. Not my fault. Uh, Justice League number thirty-one. We've got the Justice Doom War Part Two. Scott Snyder, James Tiddy, and the fourth again. Guys, busy. Jorge Jimenez and Alejandro Sanchez. Francis Manpool on the cover. Lots of stuff going on here, guys. The The Justice League is split up into twos. And then we've got our deputized Justice League um, as a third team. Really with everybody with the same idea in mind. Uh, create a timeline to where the anti-monitor, the third monitor, uh, the third son of Perpetua, 
can be tracked down and convinced to help. Whoever gets to the Anti-Monitor first between the Justice League and the Doom, the Legion of Doom, is really going to win this war. He is the, uh, the, uh, the X-Factor. So, uh, the thing is, is that it really looks like Lex and Perpetua, who has been, who has awakened at this point in time, they've got the upper hand throughout all of this. They they're seem to be one step ahead of everyone. We've got half of the Justice League in the future trying to retrieve a, this shard and try, yeah, to be able to get to uh, the Anti-Monitor. And the who's in the future? We've got Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman, and they come across... Uh, Kamandi, who really is the last remaining human, so that can't be good, right? And Flash and Green Lantern are in the past, and they meet up with the Justice Society of America. So, from my understanding, this is the first time the Justice League and the Justice Society of America have met up. Well, while in the future, um, we get a new Justice League type of team, the Justice Legion A. So, yeah, they look evil. Uh, back to the past, <laughs> I know, it's bouncing back and forth. I really think this is an homage to Avengers Endgame, or an answer to, I guess. I don't know, what, I don't know what the correct verbiage would be to describe that, but there's definitely a correlation, or at least I felt it, the whole time heist type of situation. But in the present of it all, we've got Mira, Starman, and Hot Girl, along with Hot Girl's, uh, son, Shane, and they're there to protect the, the, the portals that, you know, the the Justice League need to bounce through to be able to, yeah, if, and really, if, if the past, present, or future, if anybody slips up on their mission, all is lost, there is no hope. Well, the Godhead arrives in the present, and the Godhead is the, uh, the, the machine, the creature, the, or not the creature, the, the device that... Lex and Perpetua are in, then that's going to be responsible for fucking the world up, man. So, yeah, and like I said, it looks like everybody's just doomed, no matter how they look at this. It doesn't look <laughs> like anybody has the upper hand but the Legion of Doom and Lex and Perpetua. So, yeah, no, I was, uh, I'm still digging, I'm still digging this story. I think I liked issue 30 a little bit more. And that's only because issue 31 just bounced around so much, as you, you can tell. That's not just me. But, uh, yeah, no, that's uh, Justice League, guys. Justice League. This next book from DC, I didn't even know it was going to exist. Uh, I, I could not be happier that it does, though. Deceased got a spinoff. A Good Day to Die. Number one, Tom Taylor, Laura Braga, Derek Robertson, Richard Friend... Trevor Scott and Rain Barreto, covered by Ryan Souk. Alright, guys. So, well, we've got our main Justice Leaguers taking on this, uh, this infection, if you will. This virus that's spread through the, the mobile devices. We've got our, our new gods and our, our, our B-listers out also trying to survive and save the world. Well, Mr. Miracle and Big Barda, they flash to us. Boom! Through the portal because they've gotten word that their daddy's dead and the anti-life equation is out and about so if you're familiar with mr miracle at all and the connection between the anti-life equation and dark side that yeah you can understand his presence and big barters as well on account of they married so it's it's all you know okay well 
the, let's let's go to Mr. Terrific. Mr. Terrific would know. Well, Mr. Terrific, he gets his intel. Uh, or I'm sorry. Mr. Terrific is introduced, and he says, "Okay, well, I'm also trying to figure this thing out." And uh, it just so happens I realize that Mr. Miracle, he's he's here. He's around. So let's let's go to the uh, the origin of it all. Well, they get to Mr. Miracle, and Mr. Miracle and Big Bar say, "Okay, well, no, actually, the origin's kept here in the uh, in Court Industries. So let's all go there." So the three of them they make their way to Court Industries. And they are met by Booster Gold and Blue Motherfucking Beetle. Yes, right? If you guys aren't excited by now, I don't know what the fuck's wrong with you. Booster and Beetle in the same room, along with Mr. Miracle and Big Barda and Mr. Terrific. Ugh, all trying to take down this... So fucking badass. Well, there's a problem. When they get to Court Industries, everybody realizes, all five of them, well... The, uh, the origin, it's not here. It's not where it's supposed to be, so we got to go to plan B. Plan B is the use of magic. Magic may be the thing that can stop this, despite everybody's uh, <laughs> unwillingness to want to do such. Well, that, the, the first person they think of when they think magic is Constantine. Well, Constantine, he's, he's also making his way through this damned-ass world, uh, of, you know, zombies, if you will. Uh, and, uh, well, when Mr. Terrific and all of them get to him and say, hey, we need your help, he essentially says, no, I fucking, I don't want anything to do with this. Peace, bitch. I'm gonna go have a drink at the Oblivion Bar. Y'all take care. Bye-bye. Well, so at this point in time, Mr. Terrific realizes, okay, We've only got one opportunity left, and it's probably, it's by far my least favorite option. And that is Booster Gold. You are the only opportunity, the only chance at this world's survival. <laughs> and Mr. Miracle and Big Barda, they definitely make light of it. They're like, ah, oh, that's like the worst sentence ever. Booster Gold is our only hope. And. Yeah, so uh, they, they know that they've got to get Booster Gold to the time machine. Uh, there is a time machine. That time machine is located in, what is it, Maui? Is it Maui? Wherever it is. It's uh, the, the home of Fire and Ice. Or Malibu, that's what it is, not Maui. Malibu. The home of Fire and Ice. Well, when they get there, they infected. Fire and Ice attack, along with a bunch of other dead motherfuckers. Well, guess what, guys? Gods died too. Mr. Miracle and Big Barter, they go down swinging, but they go down. <laughs> and actually in an amazing uh, comedic manner as well. Went down with a share reference, of all things. They even acknowledge the fact that your last words are going to be a share reference. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's fucking incredible. All of the Mr. By the way, what Tom Taylor, all of the nods that he did with Tom King's Mr. Miracle story... They're, they're so flooded in here, and they're done so well. The the veggie plate, and the nine panels, and, uh, oh, man. It's done so well. Tom Taylor really is a fucking genius. But back to the story, yes. Miracle and Barda, they did. Well, when, uh, Booster and, uh, Beetle get to the time machine, they see it's being guarded. And it's being guarded by, uh, who is it? Fucking, uh... Uh, Wave Rider. 
Well, apparently he's the super OP motherfucker. I've actually never heard of Wave Rider, but he's refusing anybody to get into the ship because or into the the time machine because he's perfectly fine with the world ending in this manner. Well, uh, we we cut over to the Oblivion Bar and. Uh, Bobo was actually somehow able to subtly and very quickly convince Constantine, yeah, maybe you should uh, be the guy to help. So in the nick of time, in the nick of time, Constantine shows up, takes out Wave Rider, but unfortunately, it's not so much in the nick of time because uh, Booster starts to disappear from existence, like Back to the Future style. <laughs> so yeah, w- rules of time travel much. So that means that it looks, it's not looking so good in the future, yeah. And uh, it comes down to Blue Beetle and Constantine. They're the only ones remaining, and the last panel is a portal opening up with some more magical motherfuckers, Dr. Pate, Dr. Pate, Dr. Fate and Zatanna. Yes, that would have been my first go-to, not Constantine. It would have been Dr. Fate and Zatanna, but here they are at last, and do we get another issue? I don't know. Big question mark. This one came out of left field. At least it did for me. But I also don't read the Marvel and DC previews. I only read the indie previews. So probably my fault. It was such a surprise. But a good surprise at that. I really fucking love this book so much. I like how everything went down. Um, There was no punches pulled. Tom Taylor is not afraid to kill any of these people. The beloved Mr. Miracle and Big Barda. Fucking dead, man. Fucking dead. Booster Gold. Fucking dead. Blue Beetle, it's on Blue Beetle and Constantine to save the world. Ugh. Ugh. It's so good, guys. If there's one recommendation I have, it's it's the deceased books. And I could say books now because I didn't know they're doing fucking spinoffs. Carrying on more DC. No, that's it for DC. That's all. Good stuff, man. I ended DC with a bang. Let's go Marvel now. We've got Old Man Quill. Number nine, Ethan Sachs, Robert Gill, and Rachel Rosenberg, covered by John Tyler Christopher. So we pick up where issue eight left off. Quill discovering a Hulkbuster suit. Quasar, the leader of the uh, Church of Universal Truth, or Universal Church of Truth, or whatever the fuck it is, they are now face to face, both searching the ultimate nullifier. You know, Quasar knows that if Quill gets the ultimate nullifier, he's fucked. And everything that he's fought for with his brainwashing churchiness is, uh, yeah, all doomed and lost. So throughout all this, we get a montage of, you know, Quill and a Hulkbuster fighting Quasar. Pretty badass. Well, throughout all of this as well, there is this uh, threat of an explosion happening. We get a countdown throughout all of these pages. And the explosion goes off, and it looks like Quill, he's exploded to safety. While Quasar, not so much. It looks like he's he's taken down. And, uh, yeah, well, at the end of it all, uh, we flash over to Doom and Laveria. And he's being informed that there's been this massive energy spike. And, yeah, well, we gotta check this out. And that's exactly what Doom does. And he shows up because he wants to see for himself what this energy spike was, and why, and who, and what, and where, and... So now we know that Doom is about to get involved in this motherfucker. So, uh... As as it was in the beginning of this series, I believe. 
I, I'm still digging the Wasteland stories. I like how they, you know, killed off the Guardians of the Galaxy, and they still get to play a part in this because it's all part of his imagine Quill's imagination. And yeah, no, I, I really do. If you're if you're into fucking off the world or off the books type of stories, Wasteland, Old Man type of stories, just like the Old Man Hawkeye and the Old Man Logan and all of that good shit, I find there to be no reason why Old Man Quill shouldn't be enjoyed just as equally because Sax is just killing it with these Wasteland stories. Highly recommended, y'all. Um, carrying on with Marvel. Oh, you guys have heard of this. <laughs> House of X, number four. Jonathan Hickman, Pepe Larraz, and Marte Garcia. Covered by Larraz and Garcia. Alright, for once, I'm not uber-fucking-confused uh, with these these House of X and Powers of Ten books. This is very much an X-Men story. But it is a story of doom. Motherfuckers die, guys. All of the X-Men... They're, they're connected. They're all connected. The mission is to take down the Mother Mold. Uh, our main... Well, I, I, the, the team split up. Magneto and Beast and uh, Jean Grey, Storm, and Xavier. They're all back at base, really guiding the other half of the X-Men team. Uh, Archangel, uh, Husk, Mystique, Nightcrawler, Wolverine, and Cyclops to, uh, yeah, really, uh, they're, they're the guys behind it all, or guiding them through to take out these, uh, these Mother Mold Sentinels types of things. Well, yeah. Um, really, without going into great detail, uh, all of these X-Men, and I don't, at least the ones out on the field, they're they're slowly getting taken out, guys. Um, Husk and Angel, they're they're the first to go. We don't see that uh, actually happen. It's just uh, touched upon. Uh, Mystique, in her own way, she gets taken out. Nightcrawler gets taken out. Wolverine and Cyclops, they all go down. And I could explain how. But I'm not going to, because I believe that this is a series that everybody really needs to go out and just read for themselves. They all go out in a blaze of glory. They really do. They, it's, it's incredible how they fucking go out. Yes, we know they're coming back. This is one of the, 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 the many lives of Mora. Uh, but nevertheless, it's, a, it's, a, it's important. All of this stuff has to happen in order to get to the next life in the way that it does, and blah de blah de blah uh, But... It's it's you understand what's going on. You, I mean, it doesn't anybody can realize. Oh, okay, no sacrifice. Sacrifice is the theme of this book, and whew, uh, the the final page is Xavier realizing. Okay, this is this is too much, man. No more, and that's the theme of this book. They just over and over. No more. The opening page of this book is you know as Hickman likes to do. He quotes someone in the opening page. And that quote usually means it ends up being the the overlying tone of uh, of this particular whatever issue it is, and yeah, no more seems to be it. So it looks like Xavier, he's had enough. He's tired of all the mutants dying, and yeah, time to go into uh, oh fuck mode is what it seems like. Yeah. Um, X-Men, they're, they're back, man. And despite the fact that they died in this issue, <laughs> they will be back. And 
I, I now that we've gone through a, f- a few of these, you know, the House and Powers books, and uh, you're slowly getting the information and the the events that take place. And yes, I know it's a lot. It really is a lot, but. Nevertheless, it, it is important. We've got to read it all, and yeah, it's it's all starting to make sense. At least it is to me. Maybe to all you motherfuckers that have been reading X Men from way, way, way back, it probably made sense a little bit quicker than it did for me. But I didn't start picking up X Men books until the X Men Gold and Blue and Red and Astonishing and all that stuff. That was my reintroduction of the X Men. So don't fucking judge me for being stupid on this. Uh, I don't judge you. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's carry it on. This is something that I'm a little more familiar with. We've got the Fantastic Four. Issue number 14, Legacy 659. We're getting a Point of Origin arc. Dan Slott, Paco Medina, and Jesus Arbitrov, covered by Mike Diodoto Jr. and Romulo Fajardo Jr. So we got a couple of juniors on here. All right. So, we're getting a Fantastic Four origin story, but it's the origin of the origin. Um, <laughs> so, the, the f- our team, they are given the Marvel One, which is the rocket that, you know, went into space. And the National Air and Space Museum, they kind of gift it to them. Well, Ben, he, he gets this, you know, he's, he's going through the rocket, and he says, oh, shit, I didn't realize the black box survived. And he's, he's, he relives that whole thing, and that's, that's how us as the readers relive the origin story. Now, granted, this is all, none of that's news. Now, the, the, the new stuff is the stuff that happens before. We realize that there are two characters, at least I realize, um, that there were actually two people that were supposed to go into space in place of Sue and Johnny. And their names are forgotten. <laughs> but nevertheless, they, they get out of it because Johnny actually, um, he we, we get a glimpse of his training from Ben Grimm personally and his advancement through this piloting program and how he became the youngest pilot and blah 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 and he's actually the backup pilot on this mission well he's able to sneak his way onto the ship and um yeah no that's that's how he gets onto the ship and gets his power you know with Ben and Reed and blah 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 Alan Sue is also on the ship as well obviously that's all like I said it's the the montage of Johnny going through the the boot camp and the training and the gruelingness and no one expected him to make it, especially with how young he was. Well, when they meet up with the original two, you know, they pretty much say, "Look, <laughs> fucking, we don't want to be a. F- we're we're glad that we didn't get powers like you, despite your apologies and all of that. We didn't. I mean, we could have. One of us would have ended up being like fucking freak Ben Grimm, possibly, and that that sets Johnny off." does and uh yeah we get we get that whole fucking moment there but really the 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 big part of it is is reed and johnny they decide that they're gonna re refurbish this marvel one rocket and take it up into space to do the mission it was originally supposed to do well, there's a lot of naysayers about this. Naturally, there should be. Uh, the kids, for one, say, "Oh, well, we could easily go to that planet, like in the blink of an eye." Our technology—I mean, we've we've got like 12 ships in the fucking garage now. Why don't we just do that? And Reed says, "Oh, cute little kids. Oh, I wouldn't be as fun." 
So Johnny and Reed, we they they rebuild the ship, and we get a montage. And the cool thing is, they're doing it without their powers. You know, Reed looks over and says to Johnny, "I see that you know you're actually using uh, a attack welder instead of you know flame on." And Johnny says, "I like that you're using a wrench instead of your your um, stretchy leverage and all of that shit." And uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's all touching, heartwarming stuff. Well, when Ben realizes that they actually plan on taking that same ship up into space, he wants nothing to fucking do with it at all. He's he's actually pissed that they would even think about, you know, yeah. Well, when the team says, sorry, we're going without you regardless, uh, Ben, he's, he's watching the takeoff, the, the camera, the cockpit, and they see that the the thing that's manning the the head pilot seat is actually a fucking robot he gets a little pissed off and says you guys are gonna fucking die if you have this stupid hunk of bolts carry you through space you need the greatest pilot in the world and okay i'll do it well when he gets onto the ship he realizes the this robot this herbie figure if you will is actually just a shell. It was never. It's not a functioning creature at all. It was just a a way to get Ben to come onto the ship, knowing he would react in the way he does. When he gets there, he's really, really touched the fact that all the panels are oversized for one with big giant rock mitts, and really the ship was built for him. And he says, "All right, y'all, let's let's go. Let's let's do this mission." Mm, yeah, it's uh, they're getting ready to head out. Fucking good shit, man. Uh, it was very much a uh, a Fantastic Four type of story. I, I was very impressed. I, uh... Yeah, I fucking what's not to love about it? I don't know if there'd be a better jumping on point without having to go back to issue one than right now. So, yeah. Uh, carrying on more Marvel. This title is uber popular. Immortal Hulk, number 23. Al Ewing, Joe Bennett, Roy Jose, Bellardino... Uh, or shit, Braho, Bravo, um, Paul Mounts, and Matt Miller, covered by Alex Ross. All right, this is an action book, so this description will will move pretty quick for the most part. General Fourteen, he is now abominationized, and uh, Hulk and his team, and that team being Harpy and uh, Doc Samson. And uh, the corpse of Rick Jones and Puck, they all show up, and yeah, no, they're 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 there to take down uh, old fucking General Fourteen. And General Fourteen has Titania and Absorbing Man in his uh, in his possession, but they end up saying, "Okay, well, shit, everyone's here. Let's just turn against these mutant ass." And it's not really a mutiny; they're there against their own will. But, uh, yeah, no, you, you understand what the fuck's going on there. And, yeah, no, it's it's just a, a montage of a bunch of people beating each other's fucking face in. Does anybody win? No. But a lot of people really do get their fucking faces punched in, and it's still got that horror aspect for sure. Um, you know, Hulk gets the the abomination Adam's acid spit on him again, and, oh, man, it's it's good stuff. It, it is. I, I, I dig this book quite a bit. Now, you are going to... It's going to be a while before we get the... Well, I'm I'm claiming it to be the last two issues. 
But, uh, yeah, no, it's going to be a while, but if we get issue 24 and 25 of Mortal Hulk, they have been pushed back a few weeks, so hang tight. We'll, we'll, get, the, we'll get the conclusion to all of this, but, uh, god damn, this, <laughs> this story really is incredible, and it's, 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 if you like horror comics and you like Marvel, and you don't get enough horror in Marvel these days, it's, this is the one. This is the one. Uh, oh, we got an Absolute Carnage tie-in. Symbiote Spider-Man number one. Peter David, Francesco Mobili, uh, Java Tartaglia, and Rain Barreto, covered by Greg Lynn, Frank Damata, and Jay Liston. All right. So this is actually a pretty cool little tie-in here. Uh, what's going on is it's, it's explaining how... The symbiote got from the Baxter building back to Peter Parker after he gave the symbiote to the Fantastic Four. And yeah, to say, well, study this shit, and uh, the symbiote escapes, and yeah. Well, what we learn here, at least once again what I learn, is that the symbiote didn't just goop itself all the way from the Baxter building to Parker's apartment. It found a host, and that's who this story follows. It follows a character by the name of Len. And he was in town at that time as just your typical New York City tourist, despite the fact that all of his friends and family said, don't go to New York, they'll eat you alive there, there's bad guys, and don't go at night, and yada, yada, yada. He's outside in front of the Baxter building like he wanted to be, and he's taking pictures, and next thing you know, he's swinging through fucking New York in a black suit. Yeah. So, <laughs> just as he, uh, he gets to... Parker's window, the symbiote releases him in you know, mid mid swing, and he falls and yeah, fucking uh, he fucks himself up pretty goddamn good. So from there, yes, we know what happens with the symbiote bonds with Parker and blah blah blah. Well, uh, we see years later that this Len character he's being released from prison. So that's where the real origin is. It's what happened in between him being released from prison and him being dumped by the symbiote and honestly he lives a fairly normal life for a little bit after he got back from his trip but yeah so he's he's in a quickie burger just eating a quickie burger like you would and this crazy fucking psycho bitch comes bursting through the door and she's being all crazy and eventually she's obtained and yeah well the twist to all that is is the next time we see Len he's he's in a judge's robe and that crazy bitch comes into his courtroom so he's the judge of a crime that he's actually witnessed. Well, this uh, this crazy bitch is none other than the White Rabbit. And, well, she uh, she's proven guilty, but she does escape from prison, or at least custody, and she is on a mission to uh, retaliate against old Judge Len. And when she tracks him down, he's with his son, and uh, he, uh, he... I mean, his son's not a young... I mean, he's... In his 40s, Len, he's, he's, a, he's divorced. He's an old man. His wife just left him, and that's what, you know, sent him on the vacation and all this shit. So, uh, you know, um, I, fairly important, I guess. Because what happens with the son <laughs> is uh, when uh, the white rabbit shows up, she's got a gun, says, all right, motherfucker, I'm going to show you. And she goes to pull the trigger, and the son jumps in front of his dad. Pretty fucking cool, right? Well, when the trigger goes off, uh, it just, uh, you get your little fucking flag bang type of gag thing. 
Well, still kills the sun. <laughs> has a heart attack. And that's why I say the age is important, because he has a fucking heart attack. And, uh, he, he, he dies. He dies. And the, at this point, Judge Len, he's fucking furious. You know, he goes after her right then and there, but the cops, they do arrive in time. And, uh, yeah, um, so from there, he shows up to her court arraignment, arrangement, arraignment, I don't know the court words, and, uh, he, he, he decides to take a shot at her himself, but he's not a very good criminal, <laughs> so when he goes to shoot, someone stops him, pulls his arm, and the, the gun goes off, and he ends up shooting the stenographer instead. Well, White Rabbit, before all of that, she's very remorseful, you know, despite the fact that she's a criminal, she's in court, you know, you know very, very, um, I mean, like I said, remorseful, saying, I, I only meant to scare the, the, the dude, I never meant for anybody to get hurt, because I'm not a killer, and, uh, yeah, well, when she, and she's really saying, it's an accident, I wish you could know how bad I feel. So, needless to say, when she witnesses the judge accidentally kill someone, she goes right back into, ha, 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 I'm an evil bitch mode. And uh, right on cue, her giant robot rabbit that we all know <laughs> shows up, and yeah, she's able to escape. But at the same time, very much pointing out the fact that, look, this is, this is now you know what it's like, motherfucker. Yeah, you're you're just a yeah. So now, all right, the, all of that is all showing what led up to why Len was in jail. Once again, it's his last day in jail. He's being released, and he flat out says, "I don't know what the fuck I'm gonna do." Well, uh, <laughs> um, on his last day, he's visited outside of his jail cell by White Rabbit and she's kind of antagonizing him, but she looks through the cell and sees that there's someone else visiting him. And you can imagine who that would be. Carnage. Carnage is there, and he explains, okay, yeah, no, I'm, uh, no, you, you are symbiote, and I'm here to rip your spine out, and White Rabbit gets to, uh, see Len gets his, uh, get his, uh, spine ripped out by Carnage. <laughs> it's fucking good shit, man. I really did dig this tie-in. Is it super important? No. I don't think this has anything to do with anything. It's just a, it's a for fun type of thing. Uh, but still very enjoyable, and I found it to be very worth, worth the read for sure. I mean, I spent spent enough time talking about it, didn't I? Um, all right, more Marvel. Uh, Savage Avengers number five, Jerry Duggan, Mike Diodoro Jr., and Frank Martin, covered by David Finch. This, I must point out is Mike Diodoto's last bit of interior work for Marvel. This is it. I imagine he's still going to do some cover work, but he he's no longer contracted with Marvel. He's got his own shit now. He's got Berserker Unbound, and he's working on with Jeff Lemire, and I can only imagine so many more projects in the pipeline, so shit to get excited about, people. All right, we know that the Marrow God, he has been awakened, and our team must... Uh, Beat the shit out of him. Kulan Goth, he's celebrating with his other little posse. Alright, y'all. Fucking Meryl God, and he's about to take on these these little bitch-ass Savage Avengers. And, uh, yeah, we could all go back to uh, being evil motherfuckers. Well, so let's let's flash over to the Meryl God versus the Savage Avengers. 
Uh, originally, it's it's up to Conan. Conan is there to take on the Marrow God one by one, while the rest of the team, they set up a, a series of traps. It really just doesn't end up being a series at all, to be honest. It's uh, just a... a, a um, ah, a montage of them all playing their own part to to do their thing, but really the 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 main beast of beasts of this team turn out to be Wolverine and Conan. I'm sorry, those two teaming up together is fucking brilliant, absolutely brilliant, just like it was in uh, uh, issue one. But um. Uh, the, the, the cool thing here is that you know, as they're all taking each other, they're, they're all taking their stabs at this Meryl God, they realize it's just regenerating too fast, so we're, we might have to go right to the brain. Well, Wolverine, being the badass that he is, he's, alright, I'm gonna go right to the brain. And, but he can't get his claws in deep enough. Well, Conan shows up, and he's now got his venomized uh, sword. Well, when it's venomized, it could be other things too, so now it, he turns it into a fucking hammer. And he swings at Wolverine's elbows, driving his claws right into the fucking goddamn brain skull of the the Marrow God. And boom. Explosion, blood, guts everywhere. Now, let's go fucking take on Kulan Goth. When they show up, it is too late. He flat out says, look, you guys aren't going to be able to stop me. I'm going to go through this portal before you can do anything about it. And you guys are going to end up working for me regardless. I've already got you. In the future, you're all going to work for me. And you're going to have to deal with it. So take that, bitches. I win no matter what. Well, in the meantime, here. Have some more of the hand to fight. <laughs> well, it's recognized at this point in time. Venom points out to... Uh, to Conan, look, that uh, symbiote that you have there, it's dying, and when it dies, that's the thing keeping you alive, and you're gonna bleed out. Well, Brother Voodoo says, well, go get me some of these, uh, uh, go get me a live specimen, if you will, and otherwise capture one of these motherfuckers from the hand, bring them back alive, and I'm gonna do this dark-ass spell. That dark-ass spell is transferring one life force to another. Crazy shit, right? I didn't know he could do that. But I think the fun part about it all is when Wolverine, you know, picks out his perfect little specimen. He brings him back, and he's got no arms or legs. And Brother Voodoo, <laughs> he's like, did you have to nub him up? And he's like, if you don't like the way I do the shopping, bub, you do it. I don't know. I just thought the line was fucking great. It's, oh, God damn, this is such a good fucking story. I'm so glad it's not a mini series. I thought it was going to be five issues because I know that Duggan was only scheduled for five issues, or not Duggan, Diodoto, Duggan's, he's got 11 or 12 issues written out now, so, whew, makes me wonder who that, who the step-up art team is, ah, alright, so carrying on with the story, sorry, I got, I got out, um, uh, they, they take out the, the remaining bit of the, the hand, Kulan Goth gets away, at this point in time, they realize, alright, well, Let's, let's carry on. Let's make sure that, you know, we we just got to do what we got to do. We're, none of us are all friends. We're not the friendliest group of people. We don't team up, and we've all got shit to do. Uh, Punisher, he's got to get his, uh, his people back to, or his dead family buried and all of that. And he doesn't want to be taken through the magic portal. Conan definitely doesn't want to have anything to do with the magic portal. So the two of them are kind of together. Electra, she gives Conan a bracelet as a token of appreciation, but that really just ends up being a tracker. 
And she also says that she has a tracker on Voodoo as well. So yes, the, fir the first arc is the, you know ends with them all splitting up, but very much saying, oh, we're all going to make our way back to each other very, very fucking soon. Especially since the fact that the guy that we all set out to kill is very much alive. I <sighs> Savage Avengers is, once again, guys, I'm going to say it, fucking incredible. Um, I don't know who's going to take over the art, but I think as long as Jerry Duggan's writing... I think we're, we're we're in for a treat. We we really are. It's, this is this is amazing. Um. So yeah. Uh, hopefully it's not too long before we get another issue. Last book of the overviews for the week is Punisher number fifteen. Matthew Rosenberg, Simon Grudensky, and Antonio Fabella, covered by Greg Smallwood. Yes, all four of those familiar names, all for the fifteenth time in a row. That's. Uh, that's that's exciting, especially when they're all that good. Yes, even the cover artist has been a big part of this book. All right, so Zemo, he's hiding out in the the confines that Fisk has provided for him. Fisk ain't very happy with the way he's going about and really abusing the power that Fisk has given him. And uh, yeah, Punisher's after him, but Punisher he ain't alone. This. <laughs> This fucking team that he's got working with him is... It's so goddamn badass, guys. Ghost Rider, Black Widow, Moon Knight, Night Thrasher, and a female Punisher, Rachel. All making their way up 15th Street to fuck up Zemo. Uh, Kingpin tells Zemo, you gotta get out there, you gotta fight. You ain't hiding in here, bitch. This is... You, you fucked up. You gotta take you and your little... uh. Thunderbolt makeshift crew, and yeah, you gotta you gotta face the consequences, and uh, that's is like I say with every other Punisher book out there. There's this is action. Uh, this is just explosions and badassness. Every every single character in here gets an amazing moment. Uh, it's I'm, uh, Moon Knight, guys. Moon Knight, so fucking good in this book probably the best I've ever seen Moon Knight. You know, as a matter of fact, when they reboot Moon Knight, I'm now cam I'm going to campaign for it to be Matthew Rosenberg to uh to to helm the Moon Knight title whenever that day does come. Cuz it's my understanding the Punisher's ending in two issues. So that's that's blasphemous to me. I, this is Marvel's best book. Their best book by far, and the, I'm not saying that everything else underneath it is trash, because there's a lot of really, really, really good stuff in Marvel right now, but this shit is just top-tier perfection. Perfection. There is nothing, there's never been anything wrong with the, any of these pages throughout any of these 15 issues, so... Yeah, man. Um, so there's blood on the streets, dude. It's Well, I guess the title is War on the Streets, but... um. Uh, it, it ends with Frank facing down Zemo face to face. Uh, Frank gets kicked in the face, distracted just long enough for Zemo to take Rachel captive in his tank. And uh, yeah, no, it ain't over yet, guys. I think we're going to have two issues of, uh, I mean, two more issues of just all of this same stuff. And I really hope that they don't take anybody away from this team. I, I hope it's just... All of these guys, all together, from f for the remainder of this fucking title. If, in fact, it does end at 17 issues. Which, I find that to be a weird number to end it at. I really hope that's just hearsay. But, uh, yeah, let's 
Punisher could not be more recommended. It'll always be my most highly recommended Marvel book. Always, 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 always. I, it's not taking any dips, guys. So that's what I got for overviews. Um, by no means is that everything I read or everything I picked up, and that leads me into my next segment. These would be the honorable mentions. These are the books that I picked up that didn't necessarily make the overview section, whether I found it to be something that I just couldn't find enough talking points on or it's something that I'm kind of saving for later. Nevertheless, I find that no book should be discriminated against. If I picked it up, I'm going to talk about it in one way or another. So let's carry on. We got, we're going to start out with the, the Marvel uh, honorable mentions. We do have an Absolute Carnage tie-in. I really would like to be able to read all of, or talk about all the tie-ins to make sure all you guys got every little bit of this this event. But one title just hasn't really uh, gripped me yet, and that's The Scream. This is Scream number two. It's, I don't know anything about these uh, these other five symbiotes, and uh, because I don't know about it, I don't want to misinform any of you guys or confuse anybody or anything like that, so I'm leaving it up to you on this particular title to, uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Um, carrying on. Conan the Barbarian, number nine. I, I fucking love this book. I, I, I really do. This is just Conan being Conan. Uh, none of these, I mean, this is, I think, a, a nine- nine-part arc, to be honest. <laughs> but, uh, nevertheless, it's, it's, it's been fucking awesome. It's Jason Aaron just killing it, Mom and Azar, Matthew Wilson. It's, it's brilliant. It's just one of those things where I couldn't find enough to talk about because it's just, a. Uh, I mean, it's, it's Conan. It's Conan being Conan. Uh, the DC Honorable Mentions, Doomsday Clock number 11, so it's almost time for me to talk about this book. Uh, I would imagine in a couple months when 12 comes out, I'll, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to find the time I'll binge all 12 issues and talk about it to completion in full, all on a trade negotiation segment. So stay tuned for that, but until that day comes, or issue 12 comes, I'm not cracking this book open. I know I've been avoiding spoilers like no other, and uh, yeah, I want to be able to binge it. Green Lantern number 11, from my understanding, this is a, uh, a first appearance of a gold lantern. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Unfortunately, you know, I, I've still been picking up the Green Lantern books, but I think I quit reading after five or six only because Grant Morrison gets a little wordy for me at times. Uh, I think Liam Sharp and Greg Olaf absolutely murder the art. It's always some of the best art ever. And I would imagine if I crack this book open more, just the art alone would make the... Uh, probably the the top interiors much more often but unfortunately it's just it, I, I do have plans on getting into Green Lantern at some point or another it's just uh, Morrison he knows his lore and the Lantern Corps and all of that stuff and it's not really a, a jump on book that I'm finding it to be at least I'm having a hard time jumping on Green Lantern um, alright so we've got a, uh, a facsimile here. I've never picked up a facsimile, and I think I finally learned how to say that word right. I used to say facsimile. Uh, facsimile. So, it is. it has been the week of Poison Ivy, guys. <laughs> um, uh, we've, we've got Batman number 181. This is a reprint here. This is the first appearance of Poison Ivy. I know that I'm a ways away from getting to the point where I could track down a nice crispy copy of Batman 181 for myself for my collection. But in the meantime, I do want to be able to enjoy these pages and see what the the, the first story of Poison Ivy looked like. And uh, I'll be dipped. There it was. 
I dig it. I dig it. I, I might pick up more of these facsimiles now. Um, Legion of Superheroes Millennium, part one of two. This is a Brian Michael Bendis, Jim Lee, along with so many others all up on this. Uh, I, I don't know what's going on here, guys. I really don't. Supposedly this is, you know, it ties the future and the past, Justice League, all together. And I was really confused. I don't know any of it. I wasn't really drawn to it. I'm still going to pick up issue two. And maybe I'll give them a shot when I can read them both back to back. Maybe it'll all make more sense to me. But unfortunately, this this one just didn't make the overviews because I didn't want to confuse y'all with some shit that I don't know shit about. From Image Comics, some indie honorable mentions. Now we've got Space Bandits, number three, from the Millarverse. I know that on my Twitter poll uh, for most anticipated book of the week, a lot of you guys uh, shouted out Space Bandits. And I know that would usually entail me being inclined to throw that in on the overviews. Well, here's the deal. I, too, am very excited for Space Bandits. And for whatever reason, when Issue 2 came out, I picked it up late. Um, it was in my box. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, for whatever, something happened. And I didn't get to read it until after I had already recorded that episode. So I'm going to, uh, well, actually, and because of that, I didn't even read it because I didn't obtain it until I recorded the last episode. So that made me realize that, okay, this is going to be a trade negotiations type of material here. I'm going to wait till all six issues come out, and I'm going to throw a Malar verse at your asses. Space Bandits issue one was fucking great. I, I, I really dug it. Last book, the honorable mentions for the week. I know there's probably a lot of you that would have liked me to talk about this too. But admittedly, I fucked up and I forgot to go through and read the last couple of issues first. So, my bad. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I can't wait till I can get back to this book. What book is it? Spawn. Spawn 300, motherfuckers. This is a big one. This is a big one. McFarlane, congratulations, dude. Congratulations. We got an oversized issue here, and it's setting up a cameo appearance of a female spawn, and, uh, yeah, man. I, I, this is, it really is exciting. Well, obviously not that excited. You didn't read it. Well, I really wanted to read it. I fucked up. I'm busy, guys. I read a lot of books. <laughs> I'll get to it. I promise. I promise. But, uh, yeah, with that $8 price tag, I mean, you, you would think that I would at least crack a spine, right? So that's what I got for honorable mentions. There was tons more that came out, but, you know, personally has so much time and money, right? Let's move on to the next segment. This is the wall books. This is the shit that I like to hang up, the shit that I pick up specifically for the cover. And really, that's that's the first thing that, you know buyers see when they're they're comic shopping it's that front cover art and uh man <laughs> there's there was some good stuff this week guys let's uh let's start out with dc dc i know i've been kind of critical with their uh their their variant covers lately how they haven't really appealed to me that doesn't mean it's been bad just because it's not for me doesn't mean it's bad by any means i've got a specific taste and unfortunately they kind of put my taste on a back seat for a few weeks. Well, guess what? They're back. And this is a cover 
concept that I've anticipated for a very long time, and I didn't know it was happening until the solic I read the solicitations for this week, and it finally happened. Uh, a lot of you guys know my stance on Art Germ. Really, there's only a couple of characters that I'm, I'm attracted to that he draws. Um, and there's one that I've yet to see him attempt, and that's Poison Ivy, my favorite female in all of comics. Well, it's time. <laughs> the Harley Quinn Poison Ivy crossover did get us an Art Germ Poison Ivy variant, and I, it's spectacular. Spectacular. I don't know if there's, I, I can't think of any other level of amazement <laughs> to, to, to put to this. It, it's, it's, it's incredible. It has its uh, photorealism and places, and then it has uh, its, its cartoony type of vibe at the same time. It's, oh, God, it's so fucking good. I can't, it's beautiful. This book's going to be on my wall forever. I probably should have got more. Uh, all right, so Francesco Mattina, my favorite cover artist of all time. <laughs> yeah, he also hit me with a cover that was a surprise because I didn't know this title existed until the week of. Deceased, A Good Day to Die, number one, also got a zombie cover that he has been doing. He did the Superman and the Batman and the Wonder Woman and all of that so far. Well, Deathstroke got zombified in this motherfucker. And uh, Slade Wilson is... Oh, fuck, this is good, man. It is good. I... It's... I don't... It's perfect. These DC came heavy this week. They really did. These, these two variants that are going to be on my wall for a very fucking long time. The last wall book of the week. Alright, so when Spawn came out, we knew that there was going to be an abundance of variant covers. Now, I would have picked up more because they were all bangers. All of them. Every single one of them were great. And usually when a, a book, a title comes out with that many variants... Usually a lot of them are, are real fucking stretches. It's all just a cash grab. But all of these were such well-deserved covers. Well, I told myself I have to be disciplined at an $8 price tag. I'm only going to pick up one. And I decided to pick up the uh, the parody cover. It's, there, I, 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 I really like the Spider-Man 300 uh, cover swipes. I've got the, the, the Spider-Gwen 25 cover swipe. And I don't really have any other ones. <laughs> now, I was kind of on the fence on this one because Spider-Man, what was it, 276 or something like that? It wasn't very long ago. McFarlane already did this cover swipe. And granted, it's not exact. Uh, he did the, the, the line work a little bit different as far as the, the detail work. But it's it's still pretty, pretty much, yeah, the <laughs> same fucking cover. But despite all that, I, I've, the Spawn 300, I needed, I, I I found it pretty reasonable. I mean, he's on the fence. Do I want the Jason Sean Alexander? Do I want the, the, the Scott, uh, yeah, the, 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 the Campbell cover? No, I need the, I need the McFarlane, man. That's, that's what I did. I got two McFarlane covers this week, so it's good shit, y'all. Good, good shit. So that's all I got for wall books. Um, let's, let's move on to the least important part of the segment, the part that most of you guys are probably tuned out right about now, my opinion, my top picks of the week. Uh, I, 
there's probably a couple of you that care, and that's that's why I keep this segment going. But I also like to make sure, more than anything, I like to make sure that the 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 creators, if they do listen, and there are a few of them out there that do, uh, they 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 do get their their proper uh, gratification. Is that the right word? Um, and acknowledgement towards this uh, the slew of books that come out. You know, I, they 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 need their. Uh, Proper recognition. So let, let's just get on with it. Let's go. Um, let's start with the cover of the week. I think I don't think it's going to be any mystery at this point with the way I uh, I really went on about that fucking Harley Quinn Poison Ivy number one cover. That art germ cover is fantastic. Is it my favorite art germ cover so far? Whew. That's tough because those Catwomans are pretty fucking badass as well. But. Oh man, I don't know. That's not the important part. Is the fact is, this is my favorite cover of the week, even with the Matina cover being thrown in there. You got it, Art Germ. Uh, my interiors of the week. Now this is the hardest decision of the week for me, because <laughs> um, there there really was some amazing art out there. Honestly, all of the art and all of these books this week were just fantastic. But when it when it comes down to it. I think I'm going to have to go with Punisher on this one. I really, really enjoy the way all of these characters were drawn out. I really, really enjoy how all of... I mean, just everything about the art in here. Every week, Antonio Fabella and Simon Kredansky, they... Or not every week, every issue of Punisher has... Man, it's so good. It really is. It gives the grittiness that the Punisher needs to be... And, um, now that, you know, we, we see that Kodansky has no problem drawing out a team book and making them all badass and visually, uh, man, it's, I'm sorry, the way he drew, we need this whole team to take on New Moon Knight now. This, this really is the, the ultimate fucking team. But Kodansky, that's, it's just perfect. The perfect artist for that character. I think that's what, that's what set this book over from from the rest. Cause like I said, there was, <laughs> fuck. I mean, Diodota was all over the place this week. Uh, Freddie Williams is one of my favorites of all time. Uh, I mean, Joe Bennett's back on Immortal Hulk. It's, <laughs> but and it just goes to show. I mean, that that that's how good, that's how good Punisher was this week, and on all levels really. As far as overall book of the week, uh, man. It, Almost Punisher, almost Punisher, but the deceased book, man, A Good Day to Die is just going to have to take it for so many reasons, so many reasons. All of the the Mr. Miracle Tom King references, and they're all the best references. Uh, The comedy that was thrown into this, despite this being a very drastic situation. Um, Booster and Beetle, bitches. I mean, that should be enough said right there. Uh, it's, and so many people died, (laughs) so many fucking people died, I, I don't, I, 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 this book speaks for itself, it really does, it's absolutely fucking amazing, um, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, that's what I got, those were my picks of the week, guys, now, please, let me know what yours were, you know, if you listen to this podcast, I'm gonna put up a Twitter poll, it's at Cheers to Comics, hit me up on Twitter, let me know what your favorite books were, I'm curious, I'm more interested in your thoughts than 
giving out mine, to be perfectly honest. So, yeah. Uh, with all that being said, I believe it has been a podcast. This is all the stuff that came out on the 4th of September. We'd like to remind you again to head over to westcoastgeek.com. I will put a link in the description. Use codes cheers to comics at checkout. Get yourself 20% off and uh, put a little scratchy poo in Brian Wayne's pocket. You know, I'm going to go out and get my dog some some extra treats or something with that that little bit of cash from you going out and buying shit that you're going to normally go out and buy anyways. Click on the link. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, head over to Patreon too. That's another way to support. Patreon.com slash cheers to comics. There's several tiers, tiers to choose from. You know, you throw down a buck and if you bump into me in a bar, buy you a fucking drink as long as you're a patron. Or and we've even got Omega level uh, tiers to where as long as you, you know, you're throwing me a few bucks a month, I'm going to send you key issues and variants once a month as long as I see that little Patreon payment coming through. So... And, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's worth it, I promise, guys. Help out the podcast. I'm going to keep delivering all the content I can and get you nerds' brains all filled up with the, all of this wonderful goodness that is the comic book industry. So, with all that being said, I believe this podcast is a wrap. You nerds read responsibly. I'll chat at you soon. Cheers, fuckers. So you're obviously into listening to podcasts, and if you're not, uh, you're clearly lost because this is a podcast, and you've taken a wrong turn on the internet somewhere. So, for all you podcast listeners out there, uh, I'm here to inform you that you can actually be getting paid to listen to this. This is all through a fancy app called PodCoin. Download the PodCoin app and use referral code COMICS and get yourself 300 coins to get started. What do you do with these coins? These coins can be used to obtain certain things like gift certificates and other valuable things that you would use in your day-to-day life. Or, if you're of the more charitable sort, you could rack up these coins and give them to certain charitable organizations. And, uh, yeah, warm your heart that way, just by doing the things that you would normally be doing anyways, and that would be listening to the Cheers to Comics podcast. So, um, hop on the PodCoin app, New Year's Year's Code Comics, and start earning immediately.